Today our title is Jesus, the Good Shepherd, Part 2. This, in fact, is the second part of a message that started just before COVID hit, and that's up online, so if you're interested in catching up a little bit, you can listen to our podcast either on iTunes or on our website. But let me give you just a short intro to what your palate for what we have this morning. John chapter 10 begins with Jesus juxtaposing himself with others. By others, I mean any other teacher, any other leader, any other guide, even Satan himself is compared to Jesus in the sense that none of them compare to Jesus. They don't compare to him in person, and they don't compare to him in purpose. No one is as great as I am, Jesus is saying. It's not only a polarity statement. It's also an ontological statement. By virtue of who Jesus is, Jesus is the greatest. Amen? Amen. To help convey this point, Jesus begins to teach in what verse 6 calls figures of speech. If you look at verse 6, the Greek is peroimia. It's the word that we get parabole from. It might sound familiar to you. It's parable. Para is a prefix in the Greek. It means alongside of. You might hear the word parallel, for example. The second part of the word parabole is bole. In the Greek, bole or bolo means to throw. I throw. In English, it's not you throwing. It's something you actually throw, right? It's a ball. Parabole essentially is a word that means to throw something alongside of. Parabole, to throw something alongside of. So essentially, what is a parable? A parable is a truth that is thrown alongside of reality to help us understand the message that is trying to be conveyed. That's what parables were, simply put. Earthly stories with heavenly lessons. A heavenly truth thrown alongside of an earthly story so that we could grasp a point that Jesus was teaching about the kingdom. The reason they were so effective, I think, was because they incorporated things that were familiar to us. You might recall some of the parables from the gospel. Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow seed. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who throws a wedding banquet for his son. So you see, parables had a familiar strain to them. A fisherman in his net. A lost coin. A sheep that has lost its way. Two sons, one older, one younger, etc. and etc. Earthly lessons that conveyed heavenly meanings. Parables then had a didactic purpose or a teaching purpose. So Jesus in this sense, verse 6 tells us, is giving us a parable or a story to help us appreciate what we need to learn about the kingdom of heaven. Interestingly enough, New Testament scholar Robert Stein says this, it is estimated that over one-third of the teachings of Jesus found in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are found in parables. 
That says something. Jesus enjoyed using the means or the tool of a parable to convey the lessons of the kingdom and of spiritual Christianity. Well, Jesus spoke in this case again in a parable. And and they didn't really understand, verse 6 says. Not wildly surprising, I don't think. We'll learn why they didn't understand later as we continue to go through John chapter 10. But for now, what's important? is that you know exactly what we're dealing with here. Jesus is teaching a diverse group. Some are religious leaders that are stubborn, hard-hearted, and others are receptive in hearing the teachings of Jesus. And so we're going to see a sort of variation in how Jesus deals with different people as he relays the meaning of this parable he is conveying. So if you're ready, say amen. We are for our first point this morning dealing with Jesus as the shepherd. Verses 7 through 13, Jesus as shepherd. Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 10 again, if you look with your eyes, it says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you have the old King James, it says verily, verily, right? Now the old King James borrowed from the Latin there. In Latin, veritas is the word truth. So he's saying, truly, truly, that's what that word verily means. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not, what? Listen to them. The sheep didn't listen to the thieves and the robbers. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Go in and out, find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it, how? Abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, get that word own, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. I, on the other hand, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my own, what? Know me. Just as the Father knows me. He qualifies the kind of knowledge he's referring to here. Just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father And I lay down my life for the sheep. Oh, by the way, he says in verse 16, I have other sheep also that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be how many flocks? One flock. One shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it back up again. No one takes it from me. Get your hands on this verse. No one takes it from me, Jesus says. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and to take it back up again, Jesus says. This charge I received from my Father. Oh, we're going to learn a few things this morning. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, he's got a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, 
These are not the words of somebody who's oppressed by a demon. And by the way, can a demon cause a blind man to see? Now, the first thing that we see is that Jesus identifies himself not only as a shepherd and not only as the shepherd, help me out, but as the good shepherd. There's historical background here, church. There's historical background to be considered, and it begins at approximately 605 B.C., so about 600 years before Jesus came. There was a prophetic utterance by God through his prophet Ezekiel about this shepherd in that period of Israel's history. It's being judged by God, Israel is, and he's using Babylon to do it. It's funny when God chooses to use other leaders and other nations to judge the nation that is walking outside of his will. God is judging them because their priests have failed them. God is judging them because false prophets are proclaiming a false gospel. God is is judging them because they're worshiping false gods. God is judging them because they're giving their babies to Moloch, the false god. That is sacrificial offerings of their children to a false god. They're shunning religious and civil responsibility. And although God has warned them time and time and time again, they've continued in this mode and therefore God is judging them. That's enough. I will judge you, and I will judge you by the nation of Babylon. God removes his protection from Israel, and he allows Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army to come in and to conquer Israel. In that process, we get this prophetic word through the prophet Ezekiel. Now, it's a little long, so I put the text on the screen for you, and you can read it with your eyes as I read aloud. This is Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel's a prophet during that time, and God is using Ezekiel to preach this word. Verse 7 of chapter 34 of Ezekiel says, Therefore you, what? Therefore you, shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep because the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed the sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Next slide. Continuing in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. 
And I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pastures they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Verse 15. Look at the words. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them Injustice. I know that's a long passage to share with you this morning, but I hope that you see the poetry. I hope that you see the power, and I hope that you see the prophetic purpose behind God speaking to Israel in a time of their dispersion of a period when he will come, he himself, not someone else, but he himself to shepherd his people. And some 600 years later, here we are in John chapter 10, and Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I'm the good shepherd. And I've come for my sheep. Jesus is not saying, I've come to help you out. Jesus is not saying, I've come to give you some guidance. Jesus is not saying, I've come to tell you how important you are and how important you are to others and and how highly you ought to feel about yourself. No, what this passage is telling us is that without the good shepherd, the sheep are lost. There's so much more happening here because Jesus is identifying himself as that shepherd that is prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 34 and saying, I'm here as a fulfillment of prophecy to collect and to protect my father's people. So many other verses refer to God as a shepherd throughout the Old Testament. Some of them are going to come up here on the screen as well. You may want to write these down, the first of which I'm sure you are familiar. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, meaning I don't have need because God, my shepherd, provides my need. Psalm 80, verse 1, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. So we see again, God referred to as the shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11. God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. By the way, I love the graphic language that we see in the Bible when it refers to God and in, for example, Mark chapter 10 when it refers to the children coming to Jesus. It says that he lifted them up in his arms and blessed them. I love the fact that God presents himself and that Jesus presented himself and his Father in a way that made them approachable. I will take up my lambs in my arms. He says, I will carry them in my bosom. 
and gently lead those who are with young. It's interesting when you hear someone talk about the God who's full of hate in the Old Testament. I don't see that. I see a God who justly and righteously judges when he decides as the creator of this creation that has gone astray. But I see so much that is caring and loving and compassionate as well. I think maybe we see what we want to see. So, first and foremost in this passage, we see that Jesus is the shepherd. Not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd. The good shepherd that was prophesied in the Old Testament, particularly Ezekiel 34, where God says, I'm going to shepherd my people and scatter those that have gone astray back together again. Jesus says, I am here on the scene and I am fulfilling the prophecy of my father. I will shepherd my people. So who are the people then? Right? Who are the people then? Let's go to the second point. We've looked at Jesus as the shepherd. Let's look now at verses 14 to 21, and we learn about there Jesus and the sheep. Read with your eyes if you don't mind. Verse 14 I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep also, not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it back up again. No one can take it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father, and everybody said... What's going on here? Some people said he's got a demon, which seems to be the perfunctory answer in that day when something happened that they didn't like. He must have a demon. And everybody else said, if he does have a demon, how is he doing the good things that he is doing? And how is he saying the great things that he is saying? Now, the next identification that we see happening in this chapter, in verses 14 to 21, is that of the sheep. Jesus is not just a shepherd or the shepherd, but the good shepherd. Amen? And as we've been learning, he's fulfilling the prophecy of the Father, but of what sheep? Who are they? Well, let's look at the text. The text teaches us, I think, a handful of things, both implicitly and explicitly, about the sheep, so that we can say, oh, okay, according to the text, this is the group of people that makes up the sheep of the shepherd. So far, so good. This is the group of people that makes up the sheep of the shepherd. Now, this is important because you say, I, you don't get to designate who is and who isn't a sheep. God does that. We don't get to decide who is or who isn't a sheep. We have to go according to the book of the word of God. And in this particular passage, we have a handful of things implicitly and explicitly shared with us that designate to us who is or who isn't to be considered a sheep in the fold of the good shepherd. So let's look at it together. First, they're going to come up here on the screen. The sheep are those who hear and follow Jesus, the good shepherd. That's the first designation or description that we have of the sheep. Of the sheep, we have first and foremost those who hear and follow Jesus. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Let's back up just a little bit at verse 4. You can write this, uh, underline this in your Bible, chapter 10, verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. That is to say, the good shepherd goes before the flock, and the sheep follow him because they know his what? His voice. This isn't just awareness, church. This isn't just familiarity. This is more than that. They don't just know of Jesus, the good shepherd. They know Jesus. You see, there's a difference there. There's a difference between people who say, well, I guess I got to go to church because that's what my mother told me to do. And those who say, I must go to church because I know Jesus. What a difference. What a difference. There's intimacy there. There's a personal knowledge there. It's like one sheep telling another sheep, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're going to do or where you're going to go, but my shepherd's over there and I go where my shepherd goes because I know my shepherd's voice. The shepherd doesn't only know his sheep. That's a given, isn't it? But we must grapple with the fact that his sheep know him also. And they listen to him. Got a real qualm, not only as a pastor, but as a Christian, with all those people who say they're Christians, but don't listen to the Lord. Like what Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, but do not do those things I say? What is the first designation of the sheep in John 10? They hear and listen or follow Jesus, who is the shepherd. Secondly, the sheep are those to whom Jesus gave an abundant life. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it how? Abundantly. The NIV translates it like this. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The New Living Translation puts it like this. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In either case, you get the gist, don't you? Say amen. The next thing that we observe about the sheep is that they are a group of people to whom Jesus gave an abundant life. What does that mean? Quite simply, it means that the sheep of the good shepherd have a life given to them that isn't shallow, it isn't superficial, it isn't spiritually dead or numb, it isn't without purpose. It's valuable. It's full of spirituality because where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is purpose. There is a passion for the glory of the Lord. Part of what makes the sheep the sheep is the abundant life that they have been given by the Good Shepherd. Now, let's pause here for just a quick moment and assert, or excuse me, assess our own lives. Am I living an abundant life? 
Have I received an abundant life? This is not prosperity gospel. That is not gospel. I'm not saying I must be a failure because I don't drive a Mercedes or have a job that pays me $500,000 a year. That's not riches. If God chooses to bless you that way, that's his prerogative. But there isn't anything in the Bible that says if I have this much faith or if I have this much confidence, God will give me things. That's a false gospel. It doesn't matter if it's on the television or not. They pay for that airtime. What Jesus is saying in his flip-flops, what Jesus is saying as a man who was a carpenter and working with his hands, what Jesus is saying who did not own a house, what Jesus is saying who wandered itinerantly from town to town, preaching the gospel of his father, what Jesus is saying who owned nothing is this, the abundance of a man's life does not consist in his possessions. That's Luke 12, by the way. You can own a lot of stuff and be a shallow shell of a person. You can possess a lot of things and not be possessed by God. You can have a lot of property and and belongings, but not have value and purpose. I think what Jesus is saying is that I didn't just come to give you life. I came to give you an abundant life. A life that demonstrates to all those who do not have the life that there's something different in you that isn't in them. And it's me. We have this life given to us by virtue of our shepherd, not by virtue of our being sheep. Amen? We've got to get the gospel straight. And the gospel is not powerful because it makes its way through us back to God. The gospel is powerful because it comes from God to us. We are as sheep those to whom Jesus gives life and gives it more abundantly. God help us to have an abundant life. Amen? God help us to see while all of our neighbors and friends, our family members are running around as if their satisfaction will come in the next this or the next that, to be satisfied with Jesus. Third, the sheep are those for whom the shepherd lays down his life. The sheep are those for whom the shepherd lays down his life. Verse 11, look at it with your eyes. I am the what shepherd? the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep now i want you to note here say amen if you're listening good i know there's like half of us that are typically here so your amens have to be hearty today i want you to note the exclusivity of this idea church i want you to note the purposefulness of jesus the good shepherd the, I am the good shepherd, he says, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Note again this exclusivity. Jesus has a purpose here in regards to laying down his life. He isn't relying on people to decide. He's not laying down his life in the hopes that someone musters up the faith to believe in a good shepherd who somewhere, sometime died for them. 
When Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep, he's not making a broad general statement. He's making a statement that is purposeful. He's making a statement that is particular. I am the good shepherd, and I will lay down my life, not just for anybody in general, but for the sheep. He isn't relying on God to orchestrate a particular outcome for those who seem likely to reasonably respond to a favorable set of circumstances. No, Jesus is saying point blank and matter-of-factly, I don't care what your theology is, look at the words that are in red. May God help us to have no controversy with the words of Jesus. I am laying down my life for the sheep. Now, who are the sheep? Well, that's God's business. (laughs) Amen? You don't know. I don't know. That is God's bit. I believe that God has that figured out. And I believe what Deuteronomy 29, 29 says. The secret things belong to our God, but that which he has revealed, he has revealed to us and our children's children. Some of you are running around figuring everything out. I can assure you, you don't. There are some things that are in the counsel of God, and that's that. This is God's business. And I believe wholeheartedly, because this is what the scriptures were revealing to us, that that in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, God has made this choice. And that's his business. All we need to know, you and I, is that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as sinners, we shall be saved. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to get baptized, although you should. You don't have to participate in the Lord's Supper, although you should. You don't have to help old folks across the street, although you should. You don't have to know anything about theology, although you should. What the scripture tells us is that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Amen? That is what we know. That is what has been revealed to us, that the sheep are God's business. But that anyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. This is important for us to understand because in the event that the shepherd had to protect his sheep, he still intended to live. In the event that a shepherd had to protect his sheep, he still intended to live. The shepherd didn't aim at protecting his sheep with the purpose of dying. You hearing what I'm saying? He still intended to live. He didn't intend on dying as a result of protecting his sheep. But what we're getting here in John chapter 10, verse 11, is this. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is something that guarantees safety and wholeness and life abundant for this group of people. 
I love what Leon Moore says here. He says, a good shepherd does not characteristically give his life for the sheep, but the good shepherd does. It's clear here that in Jesus' mind, his death is already done. It's clear here that while Jesus is teaching about the good shepherd, his being the good shepherd, it's clear that he's anticipating what is going to transpire in the future, namely his death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Don't miss this, church. Don't miss this. It is the difference between theological accuracy and theological nonsense. Your God was not banking on your ability to do anything when he sent his son. Before the event even took place, Jesus said, I know who I'm here for, and I know how this is going to end. Amen? I know that's a hard pill to swallow. It's upsetting to the stomach, isn't it? It is a powerful truth when we come into the awareness of God's sovereignty and plan over all of history and particularly his church. But that's why he can say, this is our fourth point, that his sheep make up one fold. His sheep make up one fold. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Holy cow. you got to get this. I, I hope that after what I've just said for the past three to five minutes, you see the words that jump off the page. I hope you see it. He says, he says, I have other sheep also that are not of this fold. I must bring them. They will listen to my voice. Listen, I praise God for this verse in his sovereignty, in his counsel, and in his wisdom. Because if it wasn't for this verse in God's plan, describing God's plan over history, Joe Myra would not be a Christian today. If it wasn't for this verse, Joe Myra would not be in this pulpit today praising God for his son Jesus and the ministry of his spirit. It's just one verse, Joe. It's not one verse. It's a verse describing the reality of God's plan redemptively through history. He's not going, I'm going to throw you on the cross, son, and let's just see how this thing works out, bro. I'm watering down some of your theologies, and I'm sorry if that's offensive, but that, that's what it comes off like. You're, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you, and you're going to die on a cross. It's going to be brutal. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be flogged. Your skin is going to be yanked from your back. You're going to be put on your forehead a, a crown of thorns, of thorns that consist of four to five inches thorns. This is not a thorn bush. These are these Palestinian thorns that are huge. And then you're going to have to carry your own crossbeam. So much so is going to be the weight that, that they're going to compel someone else, Simon of Cyrene, to carry it. Because you're going to be so tired, so exhausted, so beaten that you won't be able to do it. But when you finally get there, because someone else is going to carry it for you, son, when you get there, they're going to put nine-inch nails through your wrist and your ankles and then they're going to push the cross up and it's going to drop into this hole and it's going to yank all your ligaments and tendons it's going to be hell but if you do it son some people might get saved maybe 
No. If you choose to believe that, you are free to believe that. But what this is telling me, what this text is telling me is that when the good shepherd came, there was a plan. There was a purpose. It wasn't an accident. What took place was according to God's wisdom. Joe, are you saying too much on this? No, look back at the text. The reason I love this verse is because it tells us that God is also saving Gentiles. Look at what it says. Not just Jews, but Gentiles also. He says, I have, what kind of sheep? Other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, I have sheep in the world outside of the Jewish world. Not just general sheep. Not just, he's not saying, say amen if you're listening. Okay, okay. He's not saying, there's There's some sheep out there. No, no, he's saying, I I have other sheep. I have other sheep. He's not saying, I have a feeling like if this unfolds in a particular way, it's favorable that sheep will lean toward me as a shepherd. He's saying, a good shepherd lays down his life, remember? A good shepherd lays down his life. Has he laid down his life yet? Not yet, not yet. But as far as he's concerned, it's a done deal. As far as he's concerned, it's a done deal. I will lay down my life for the sheep. Oh, by the way, there are sheep outside this fold. I have them already. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, God be praised. Listen to what he says. I must bring them also. Say this with me. I must bring them also. Not I might. Not in probability I shall. Not if the circumstances are favorable. It is probable. Not if the pendulum between God's sovereignty and people's choice is perfectly balanced at the hour that this person hears the gospel. Church, do you hear what the Lord is saying? I have other sheep. They don't even know it yet. I haven't even died for them yet. But I must bring them Well, how do we know? How do we know that they are his sheep? Great question. Look at the last part of verse 11. They will listen to my voice. They will listen to my voice. Church, salvation isn't a let's see what happens kind of thing. No, Jesus, the good shepherd, is making it happen according to his father's plan. Again, Leon Morris writes, the unity is not a natural unity. 
but one brought about by the activity of the shepherd who brings them in. That's us, folks. Unless you can trace your lineage all the way back to Abraham and you are a person of faith, you're a Gentile, which means you're a Gentile. And if you are in Christ today, Jesus saw you on the cross. You were a sheep that he was determined in his father's infinite wisdom and plan to bring into the fold. <laughs>